Sweet. All right. So tonight we are doing uh, kind of a uh, a second part of our little workshop series that we're kind of doing at the end of the se- at end of the year here. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about something we've talked about a lot. And so um, it's discipleship. But tonight's going to look quite a bit different. Um, I'm just going to do a little bit here, um, kind of on discipleship, biblically what that looks like, kind of help define it so we have a clear definition in our head. Um, I know we've talked about it a lot, but I, we want to be very clear about what that is. Uh, but then after that, we're going to do some uh, interactive things, and we're going to do some kind of unique kind of things that might be a little bit awkward for you, and it might be a little bit awkward for me, but we're going to do them and see how they go. But it's going to be um, kind of an experience to... Um, witness discipleship and participate in discipleship so that you guys can then go do this with students next year and with each other. Um, And so uh, with that, like I said, what we're doing, discipleship, what we want to do is we want to put that into practice. And, um, but first, as I said, we want to look at what the Bible says about discipleship. Um, But I want to pray again really quick and just ask God to bless what we're doing here as we try and reconstruct and deconstruct some of the the things we might believe uh, wrongly about what discipleship is. So let's pray real quick. Lord Father, I pray uh, tonight, God, um, first of all, we're just, we're just grateful that we get to meet here uh, on campus together um, to worship and to learn and to be specific and intentional about um, how we live life together and how we grow together. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, um, as we learn and as we try and put some of these things we're learning into practice, God, I pray that um, it would be meaningful, it would be helpful, it would, um, it would give us tools uh, so that we might not be so intimidated by the idea of sitting down and um, doing discipleship. So, Lord, we, we love you. We need you. Um, just be kind to us tonight. Um, it's in your it's name, of son's, name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so do any of you guys remember what our def- working definition of discipleship has been, um, other than Tyler? Helping others follow God. God. <laughs> Anyone else got any other pieces to that? Road to Christ? Grow. Grow. All right, so this is what it is. It's helping each other follow Christ in all of life through the gospel. Helping each other follow Christ in all of life through the gospel. And so what we're going to do tonight is I want to take that, that big, that big kind of sentence there, and I want to break it into four little parts. And I want to kind of define each of them uh, biblically for us so that when we hear that, there's meaning behind it, right? And so that first part is what we're going to start with, helping each other. Okay, so the first part tonight is helping each other. Now, uh, we know as Christians that we're not saved into isolation, right? Uh, To steal a quote from a book that I'm actually currently reading in discipleship, um, actually doing it with Brad and Chase, uh, he he says this in, 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 uh, in one of the chapters, says the answer is that God has saved you by grace alone, but he has not saved you to be alone. See, being saved by God through grace, uh, by the blood of Christ, by his work on the cross, um, it's being saved into the church. That is the capital C church, the collective church. All Christians throughout all time, um, everywhere, are saved by the blood of Christ into the, the church. That is every Christian throughout all time. Um, and so the, the mechanism then that God has used and has given us to grow as Christians is through the church. Okay, John 13, 35 says this. Jesus actually says this, by, all, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And right before that, actually, in, G- in, in verse 34, Jesus says, um, a new command I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And so there's this huge command to love one another. And then he says that that's how people are gonna know you are my disciples. That's how people are gonna know you are Christians. And so just the big idea here is that as a Christian, 
you are part of something much, much larger than your isolated self, right? You're not saved to be alone. Um, What marks the Christian is that idea of being in the church, is that, that love that exists within the church, that unique, specific, and powerful love that exists within the church. Um, and throughout the Bible, specifically the New Testament, as we get this, this, this beautiful picture of the church from Paul and from Peter and from Luke and from Jesus himself, um, throughout the New Testament, we see this phrase, one another or each other. Um, and over and over again, there's these, these components to that. Um, and all of that just falls under that idea of loving one another. And so I just want to list a handful of these real quick. In Romans 12, Paul says, uh, love one another, outdoing one another in honor. Okay, so we're supposed, to, we're supposed to count others as more significant than ourselves, as Philippians 2 says. We're supposed to honor one another. We're supposed to, to count others as more significant than ourselves. Also in Romans 14, he tells us not to pass judgment on one another and not to provoke each other. You guys have probably heard the phrase stumbling block. He tells us not, he tells us to help each other not stumble by not being a stumbling block to our fellow believers, right? He tells us to not be uh, a provocative or a provoke, provoke our, um, our Christian brothers and sisters to anger, to uh, frustration, to um, whatever it is, we're, we're commanded to, to not provoke one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, 25, he says, care for one another. In Galatians 5, he says, serve one another. And again, not to provoke one another. In Ephesians 4, he says, bear with one another. The idea of being long-suffering, of bearing with your friend through something difficult or bearing th- th- with your friend through something that he might be wrestling through, some sin that he or she might be wrestling through. Um, the, you kind of get the idea here, right? We, we could go on and on and on about what Paul and Peter um, and the rest of the New Testament writers have said about what that love looks like, what that love that marks the Christian looks like. But the big idea is that it's love within the church within the capital C church with, with Christians, okay? Um, and so uh, the presence and intentional pursuit of one another's holiness is kind of the idea here. It's the, it's the presence and the intentional pursuit of one another's holiness. And there is a, uh, here's another quote from that same book. It's actually a quote of a, of a quote in another book. Um, and the author is this guy named William Williamson. And this is, this, is what, this is what he says. Those who speak of having a personal relationship with Christ are right. It is personal, but it's not private. We are all in this together. There may be religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the library with a book or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal, a matter of life in the body. Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called a group of disciples. He gathered a crowd. Privacy is not a Christian category. We are saved from our privacy by being made part of a people who can tell us what we should and should not do with our money, with our body, with our lives. We've been made part of a good company, a wonderful adventure, so that we no longer need mine. The whole idea is that as a Christian, you are saved by grace alone, but not to be alone. You are saved by the blood of Christ and you are to grow not alone either. You don't grow in isolation. We talked about this before. You don't drift towards holiness. You don't accidentally become godly, right? Our natural state as fallen humans is to drift towards wickedness, not godliness. So we need each other and we need God's word to do that, okay? So that first part, helping each other, okay? You cannot separate the life of the Christian from the body of Christ. So that second piece, helping each other 
follow Christ, all right? This is the sanctification piece of our, of our working definition for discipleship, okay? And sanctification, to put it very simply, just to me, means to become more like Christ. It means to be growing to be more like Christ. Ephesians 5, 1, uh, should look that up before I say it because I don't have it on my paper. <laughs> um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 say this. Yes, one and two. Um, no. Yes, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Five, one and two. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, also, Romans eight twenty nine says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so this idea of sanctification that we're talking about, this, this, this following Christ component of our definition is being made more like Christ. It's becoming righteous. It's becoming holy. It's being obedient. Um, so this idea of community, this, so the for our, def- as our definition states, helping each other as a community follow Christ is helping each other be sanctified. And if you've, uh, um, if you've been in discipleship with me, uh, you've definitely heard what I'm about to say, uh, but I think it's really helpful to think about our sanctification in kind of this like two-pronged process, okay? And so uh, to put it simply, there's God work, God's work, and our work, all right? And so we're gonna get back to that, but real quick, I wanna talk about sin, okay? With your sin... There is often, uh, it's, it, again, it's helpful to think about our sin this way. There's often a, a desire component before we do anything with our sin, right? There's often that like, I, I need to be satisfied. I need to be happy. Or I just have this like overwhelming compulsion to not do my homework and stay up all night and play Fortnite, right? There's that desire component. Fortnite's awesome. But there's that desire component to, uh, to, to your sin, right? That, that desire to be lazy, that desire to avoid your responsibility. And then the second component to that is, has nothing to do with the compulsion to it, but it's the follow-through. It's the action, right? Does that make sense? With your sin? Yes, thank you. This is supposed to be a little bit more interactive, and I'm, I'm trying, but I'm not real good at it. Thank you. Thank you, Desiree. So yes, to, to think about your sin that way, there's that desire component, that compulsion, that need, and then there's the follow-through, the action, the doing. And so... Um, if you, if you flip that over and then talk about sanctification, if we want to talk about sanctification, which is growing to be more like Christ, then you have the desire component that needs to change and you have the follow-through component that needs to change in terms of sin, right? So the idea with, with, with this and how this is helpful is to think about that desire component is the default, broken, fallen state of humanity. What, that which you inherit from Adam as a human, that fallenness, that inerrant fallenness is to a degree out of your control. First Thessalonians 5, I wrote this one down, 23 through 24 says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. There is a a a part of your growth as a Christian that you have no control over. There's a part of your growth as a Christian you have absolutely no control over. 
And that's the state of your heart before God. We see that in salvation, right? We see that in salvation in Romans 9. It's God who gives us a heart of flesh and takes away our heart of stone, as Isaiah says. It's Romans 9 that God saw, hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's that he, he, it, God is the one that regenerates our broken and fallen hearts. And in sanctification, those initial compulsions, I'm gonna keep using that word, compulsion, that desire, that temptation, that need, you have no control over that. You need God to change your heart, right? But what you do have control over is that follow-through. And see, the reason I think this is helpful is because when we start to think about following Christ, becoming more like Christ, and we think about that second component, that follow-through, when we have that desire, that need, you can say no to that. And the best way to say no to that is in the context of other believers, is in the context of discipleship and community. Oftentimes, the spaces we grow the most as believers are when we're in those specific contests. When we ask, ask for help with a sin. When we ask for help with something we can't handle on our own. And so we get help. We get encouragement from God's word through that person. We get accountability. We get someone to, that we can call at one in the morning when we're really, really wrestling with something. And so when you think about your sanctification and growing more like Christ and that idea of saying no to your desire, your sin, that's what we're talking about when we talk about helping each other follow Christ. We want to help you. We want you to help each other with that. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Yes. Yes. Is that fair? <laughs> um, all right, so we have those, those two first parts, helping each other follow Jesus. Now, the third component of, of this is helping each other follow Jesus in all of life, okay? Now, uh, simply put, again, like to be simple, there is not a part of your life where discipleship eventually should not reach. Um, the reality is, as you participated in discipleship with us, like you saw there was a natural progression to like how deep we got, right? Like the first one, we want to get to know you. Where are you from? What are you doing? Um, what's your degree? Like all that kind of stuff. We want to get to know you. And then as we start to do these worksheets, as we start to get into God's word, as we start to get to know you better, we creep a little bit more into your life. And as awkward as that sounds, that's natural. But the end goal of discipleship is that there is nothing off limits. There is no secret sin. There is no secret struggle. There is no sphere of your life, work, school, family, private, um, whatever, that's off limits in biblical discipleship because every part of you should change with the gospel. With salvation comes a holistic life change. And so um, if you are being transformed and conformed into the image of the Son, as our Romans verse says, um, then that verse, Romans, or Thessalonians 5, where he says, may your whole body and mind and soul be made perfect. There is not, there's not your, your thoughts, what you think and believe. That's not off limits. What you, what you feel, how you respond in emotion, and what you do, your actions, your follow through, all of that. Nothing is off limits in discipleship. And... Um, so I, I, I know that those of you I've done discipleship with before, uh, you've heard this this semester because it's kind of a new thing, but if you're not at all awkward in a eventually in discipleship, then, you're pr then I'm probably doing it wrong, right? Actually, I think what I actually said was, if you don't walk away from a meeting and say, bleep that guy, then I'm doing it wrong, right? There should be some tension when you get into life. There should be some awkwardness and, un and discomfort when you start talking about real sin, when you confront someone 
I don't like the word confront, but uh, when, you, um, when you're helping someone through their sin, there's going to be discomfort. There's going to be a, a level of awkwardness. Um, and we're not saying you get there right away, right? Like I said, there's a progression to it, right? You build to that when you, as you build your relationship. But the idea is that the gospel changes everything in your life. And so as we do discipleship and we attempt to help each other sanctify, there's nothing off limits, um, which leads us uh, kind of to our final component of this, um, following, or excuse me, helping each other follow Christ in all of life through the gospel. Now, this is kind of, um, this is kind of one of the hobby horses we beat, right? The gospel. We talk a lot about the gospel. It is vital to discipleship as it is to everything else about your faith. Everything you do in discipleship should be done in and around the gospel. Let me ask you guys this. What's our greatest problem? Awesome. What is, uh, so separation from our greatest, or if separation from God is our greatest problem, how is that problem solved? The gospel. gospel. Thank you. Um, The greatest event then in all of human history is the gospel. The most profound truth we can know is the gospel. The most transformative truth we can experience is the gospel. And so to put this in the context of discipleship, what we give away to one another should always be the gospel. The gospel should always be present in everything that we're doing. We should instruct and teach and help one another see how the gospel applies, how the gospel um, changes us. Uh, For an example, if you're struggling with anger and a lack of forgiveness for a friend, um, once again, should have marked this, Uh, Colossians 3.13 says, bearing with one another, Actually, I'll start in 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. If you're struggling with anger, if you're struggling with a lack of forgiveness, Paul points to how God loved us. How did God love us? What's the greatest way God loved us? The cross, the gospel, right? Yes, thank you. That's right. A plus, gold star. The, the point is, is everything that you'll struggle with in life, there's a greater answer in the gospel. Um, the reality about every sin and every struggle you will ever have this side of eternity um, is that it is answered and complete by the work of Christ and in God's word, through the gospel, and the nuances therein. God gives you hope, gives you answers, gives you help. And so in discipleship, what we want to do is we want to take the gospel and bring it to bear on our lives. We want to take the gospel and pull it down over every inch of our life, in all of our life, but it's the gospel we're pulling down over everything. And so that's how I want to close out kind of this framework for us, okay? I want to close out this framework, this, this theological discipleship framework with just uh, these, these, these kind of two, uh, actually, I'll give it, a, I'll say it's a definition of the work of discipleship, okay? We have a definition of discipleship, helping each other follow Christ in all of life through the gospel. And in the work of discipleship, you're teaching the gospel and you're applying the gospel. Put very simply, in all your discipleship, you should be teaching the gospel and applying the gospel. The teaching component can look like reading a book, like I'm doing with Brad, doing a a workbook through the basic Christian doctrine like I'm doing with others. It can be reading the Bible, like just opening up and, and doing an inductive Bible study. 
Uh, but the point is, is we're, we're teaching the gospel and we're using what we're learning to bring to bear on our lives, to change us, to sanctify us, to follow Christ. Um, all right, so with that in place, what I want to do is I want to give you guys something practical, okay? So you can hear all that, and that is beautiful, and that is great, and that is, that is biblical. But what I want to do is I want to give you guys three principles. The third's my favorite, by the way, so hold your breath. Um, three principles, they're going to help you start doing discipleship with people, okay? It's just very, very simply put, it's just going to help you do discipleship with people. All right, and the first one we're just going to say is listening well. We just want you to listen well. And I'm trying not to smile at Chase because we've talked about this a lot this year. But um, listening is hard, right? Like listening well is really hard. Um, you kind of practice this in school, right? Like listening and writing notes and trying to pay attention in biology or whatever, sociology, when they talk about aliens, whatever it is. Like you're trying to listen well. They, do they talk about aliens in sociology? Yes. yes. I'm not wrong. Okay, my bad. That was, forgive the digression. Um, listening well. Listening well is really, really hard, okay? Um, the, the idea behind this is just that uh, we are such a um, fast-paced, uh, needs-something-new-now culture that our ability to listen well has been shattered, right? Like we don't listen well. So often we are trying to, we're having a conversation with somebody and we wander off into Neverland because we heard about, you know, um, Wichita, Kansas. And once I was in Wichita and at Wichita, I was at camp there. Oh, and at camp, I knew this kid and this kid was a, you know, you know what I mean? Like we do that all the time. We have these random trains of thoughts as we're trying to listen to somebody. Um, or it's just, we're really incredibly self-centered about our listening, right? Like we're listening to somebody and we're trying to find, how does this affect me? What do I think about this? How does this change how I'm interacting with this person? How does this change how I'm, uh, I, 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 me, me, me. We're constantly listening for how this affects me. Um, so the idea is just that um, when we're listening to each other in, in, in this context of discipleship, trying to help each other follow Christ in all of life through the gospel, we want to listen well. I wanna, can you give you a, a high, lofty view of abstract in a way? of what that is, um, but we'll, we'll get to the helpful stuff in a second. Um, and as I said, it's really difficult. When you're, when you're in discipleship and you're, you're listening to someone tell a story or talk about an experience or um, share their testimony or uh, tell you what they think about a verse, you're listening for uh, not only like what it is they're explicitly trying to say, right? But you're listening for what they're trying to say. And then you're listening for like what the intent behind that is. And then you're trying to listen for like, wait, is there any sin there? Oh, wait, is there... Is there like a misunderstanding of, of this word here? And you're, you're constantly then listening, trying to listen for all these things and at the same time trying to keep up with the conversation as it's moving forward. And it's really, that sounds really, really hard. And it is. And I, I don't wanna, I want the weight of that. I want that to weigh on you, the idea that that's hard because it is. It is really difficult. Um, but while I want it to be weighty and lofty, um, I also want you guys to start practicing listening better because we need to be better listeners if we're going to help each other grow. And um, so I want to give you two questions that you can be asking yourself as you're listening, as you're trying to get to that point where you can do all of that processing, all of that listening, all of that thinking as you're having a conversation. Um, I want to give you two questions that you can be thinking about at, for yourself, asking yourself as you're listening to somebody, as you're talking to them, as you are experiencing um, a testimony or, or what they have to say. Here's the two questions. 
What do they perceive their greatest problem is? And what do they perceive their greatest hope or solution is? And the, the idea there is, what do they perceive their greatest problem is? What do they perceive their greatest hope is? It's, you're not diagnosing anything. You're not trying to like come up with solutions or answers. You're not diagnosing their greatest problem. You're not giving them what's their greatest hope is. You're just listening for what they are hoping and what they think is wrong, right? Does that make sense? And so as you start to do that, like I would encourage you to try and do that in normal conversations and it's really hard to do and kind of awkward even, but as you start to do that, you can then start to, to see motivation. You can then start to see what's behind the words people are saying. Um, and so the prior, or, uh, principle one as, we're, uh, as we want to start practicing, practicing this is listen well. And those two questions are what do they perceive their greatest problem is and what do they perceive the greatest hope or solution is. Um, so there's two questions. The second principle, ask good questions. Um, the, re- the reality is, is both of these, both of these principles are kind of like tied together inseparably because the, one of the purposes behind asking questions is so that you can listen better, so that you can get at motivation, so you can get at misunderstandings. Um, but uh, we can, um, th- there are a lot of reasons we ask uh, the, we want to ask good questions. It's to, as I said, we want to get at motivation. We want to get at misunderstandings. But it's also, we want to we get more context for something, right? Like we want to know why they were angry. We want to know why they were frustrated. We want to know what, was, uh, what they were feeling when uh, this specific event happened, when this kind of devastating event happened, right? We want to know how that affected them. And so we want to ask good questions to get at that. Um, and I'll be honest with you. I even ask good questions when I'm lost, <laughs> Like Tyler just said, like with, with Reggie, sometimes we, you just don't know what you're doing. You don't know where to go. There's, you get into a kind of a space where there's a lot of ambiguity and you don't know what to do. My solution is just ask more questions, right? It, 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 it sounds kind of simplistic, but it, it really helps because you, you ask a question for clarity. You ask a question to, um, to get uh, more, um, if you're missing a piece, you use questions to build context, to build your understanding as much as you're helping them with these questions articulate their thoughts, right? There's a lot of purpose behind asking good questions. Um, and so with that, we're gonna hand out at the end here a list of 10 questions, incredibly generic, incredibly generic questions as a place to start for when you start asking questions and you start doing discipleship, as you start to interact and do studies with each other. Um, and with freshmen next year. Um, it's a really easy place to start, and it is by no means um, comprehensive, but it is, it is a great place to start. To just think about that idea of asking people questions, of asking people good questions so that you can get at um, listening better. Does that make sense? Yes. Sweet. All right, now, uh, before we get to the last one, this is my favorite one, but uh, principle three is just do it. Yeah, that's my favorite one. Uh, I don't need to give this a lot of time. The reality is, is so many of us, we've been, we, we did a book on retreat. We've talked about discipleship a lot from up here. We've done discipleship with most of you. You've experienced it yourselves. The reality is, is as intimidating as it is, just do it. You've been given the greatest gift humanity has ever received in the gospel. So just do it. Do it. Um, so with that, um, we want to kind of do something, as I said, a little bit different and we're going to do two things. First, you guys are going to get to witness 
uh, asking good questions. And what that is going to look like, and listening well, what that's going to look like is I'm going to have Johnny come up here, and we're going to do a uh, hashtag fill the stool number two tonight. And uh, we bring that stool up here. And we had no idea how this is going to go. So I could actually ask terrible questions. I could listen terribly. So that will give you confidence to do it yourselves, right? Um, all right, so first... Is this where I sit? This is where you sit. So um, if you've done subject with me, we've done the... Uh, some, some of us. This is Johnny, everybody. Johnny Kudrowski. I haven't had lunch. My blood sugar's dipping, so... Well, um, if you, some of us have done our testimonies in discipleship with me, and uh, kind of the idea behind it is we, we take all these lofty truths we know and we want to apply it to our lives. Like, we want to see how God worked in our lives. Um, and so basically what Johnny and I are going to do is we're going to try to do what we do in like an hour, hour and a half, in like seven or eight minutes. Eight minutes. And, uh, excuse me. And um, I'm going to like interrupt him and ask questions, so hopefully this works. If not... Uh, yeah, maybe you guys will have more confidence going in if this doesn't work. So I'm just going to just have Johnny start and just ask he's, him. He's going to have good questions. I don't know if I'll have good answers, um, but I'll, we'll yeah, try. So, Johnny, uh, and this is great, too. Like, as you guys get to know one of the elders at Sovereign Hope um, and the guy that's singing every week. Uh, so, yeah, Johnny, just tell us how you were, how God saved you. Um, tell us your story. Um, so my story. So I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I mean, and and mom is like second-generation uh, Christian. Uh, dad was raised Catholic, and he became a Christian in college. Um, and then uh, the story of, of my faith is a story of probably morality being imposed. Uh, a lot of it is um, doing good things, attending the right meetings, being seen in the right areas and places, and uh, just being a good kid. And so... Uh, as I was growing up, I felt this pressure to be what everyone wanted me to be in the church arena, church life. Why do you think uh, you felt that? Um, because what, what there was, was there was pressure from your family, or yeah, um, from my family, and from my church. Like we were, we were involved in church. My father was a deacon, then he was an elder, um, and so there was a certain expectation, maybe a certain expectation, and in, even in the home. Um, I think even in their understanding of the gospel, it was uh, it's pretty legalistic, I would say, uh, where it was, um, we were happy for the gospel, but there was a great degree to which your behavior earned God's satisfaction in you, sure. or his happiness. His opinion of you was changed by what you did for him, or didn't do. Okay. And so... So, yeah, as I um, kind of work through that, like, here I am, like, going to Bible camp and teaching kids stories on felt boards, and just because I wanted to be away from home for the summer, uh, and so they paid me nothing, and I taught kids Bible stories and made Fruit Loop necklaces and stuff like that. Christian stuff, oh, yeah. right? Christian camp's the best. Christian camp's the best. Um, and then, like, I, I was I was involved in the worship team. I'm there like playing drums or bass or something on Sunday mornings and like in front of people, like I am one way, like doing whatever it is that they require of me just to avoid conflict or to avoid them asking any questions about like who I am or what I'm up to. And then with my friends, with high school, with every other arena of my life, like absolutely like a totally different person. At that time, did you notice that distinction? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a liar. Mm. 
did you notice, did you, did you make that clarification yourself that you were a liar? Yeah. Mm. What did that, how did that yeah. affect then this faith that you're trying to experience? Um, well, I feel bad about it, right? Sure. Because here I am doing a bad job about earning my salvation. Uh, and then it reached a point where um, in my college years, like this cognitive dissonance between mm. pleasing everyone else and then in one sphere and then doing everything to please myself, avoid conflict, uh, make everyone happy. Make everyone happy, including myself. So this is what it took to make me happy, and this is what it took to make them happy. And, um, yeah, that cognitive dissonance, it, it reached a point where I wanted to, I, want, I needed to at least be honest with myself. And so, I, yeah, I reached a point where I, um, I would have I acknowledged that I didn't believe. Okay. And so while, while I was in that state, you know, I, I was at Berklee College of Music in Boston, um, just involved in a lot of stuff I shouldn't have been involved, um, going further and further away from the Lord. And I would have asked him what specifically right now, but just for the sake of time, we're going to move on. Okay. <laughs> it's, my it's, not that Im- it's not that impressive. Yeah. But uh, I was selfish. And, uh, yeah, in very self-seeking ways, just trying to pursue pleasure above all things. And it reached a point where just I, I, couldn't, I couldn't function anymore. I reached a place of desperation. I didn't really know where to turn except this faith that I had grown up with. And when I turned there, um, honestly, I, I believe that that's when I became a Christian. Uh, I, and and I don't have a day. I don't have a moment. I don't have like I prayed a prayer and God instantly changed everything. About Was there my life. a person or people in that little space there that no. pointed your question? No, no, there wasn't. And which is super weird. I know, yeah. um, uh, but God is cool like that. Um, and so I, I would say we're, uh, there's a season. I'll call it a season of about three months where God gradually opened my eyes to see just the beauty Mm. of salvation. When, at that time, would you have called it beauty? At that time, I would have called it hope. Okay. Great. Which I I didn't have any. And and so that kind of rushed in pretty quickly. (laughs) So what did that change moving forward? Like, what did that change? Um, what do you mean by change? Well, how did your life change? How did my life change? Oh, I used to curse like a sailor. Uh, so, like, every word, like, every other word was the F-bomb. Like, F-bombs over back. Like, it was just, like... He's from New York. Yeah, sorry, guys. It was, it was, um, yeah. So, so immediately, I had no desire um, to curse. I had control over my tongue. Immediately, um, uh, I had clarity in a relationship that I was in, and I cut it off. Immediately, I um, uh, had a desire to be in the Word uh, and to learn from it, seeing it as a, a place that um, I knew I wasn't going to grow without it. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
You're going to make me say it. All right. And so, and so, so this, this is, this is kind of talk beforehand to get like a kind of a, what's this going to look like? So this is the wrench Tyler's just throwing in. Yeah. Tyler's throwing a wrench in. So there was, um, there was this book that came out when I was a college age kid and it was called the purpose driven life. It was kind of a phenomenon. They made tote bags (laughs) and keychains. And, like, your parents know all about it. Because <laughs> um, your church probably did, like, a 10-week series through it. Um, <laughs> can I get an amen? <laughs> um, so my parents, um, not living in denial that I was wayward, uh, continued to hawk Christian books at me, hoping <laughs> that it would turn me into a better human uh, and a believer. <laughs> And Purpose Driven Life is one of those books. And for some reason, I opened it up and I read the thing. And I, re- and I got up to chapter 10 and I read this line. I don't remember anything else about the book. I'm not even recommending that you read it. But I got up to chapter 10 and it said, um, worship is surrender. And for some reason, those words uh, made a tremendous impact um, in my striving for acceptance by God, coming up short, thinking that it didn't matter, and then being able to rest in what he had done for me. Mm. So, it's beautiful. Yeah. Can we get a little clap for Johnny? Oh, Thank thanks, you, guys. Um, sweet. So that, that's beautiful. And Reggie's story? Johnny's story, God like uses all this brokenness in life to, um, to draw us to him. And part of the way that we get to see that in our life is, like I know some of the guys I've done this with, um, Reggie saw how God worked in his life to bring him to faith because he was doing discipleship. Um, he got to see that because Tyler helped walk him through it. Um, like we, one of the things we want to do is we want to help each other see the beauty of the, the gospel as it comes to bear on our lives, yes, and change us, but also as we've seen God work throughout the history of our lives. Um, so actually, uh, what we're going to do now is the second kind of um, workshoppy piece of this. We were going to have each of you guys pair off, and some of you have already done this, but you guys are going to walk through this together.